Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Nikita Reed, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Mark. It is great to finally have you here. <laughs> right, <laughs> we've been finally. trying. We've been trying to record this podcast for months, maybe years. I don't know. <laughs> um, it's been a while, but I'm glad that we finally got this coordinated and uh, and we, we got you here. So this is going to be fun. Um, you're a longtime friend. You've been part of the community, the Entree Architect community, for a long time, um, and so uh, I've wanted to have you on the show for a long time. But let me let me introduce you to anybody who may not know who you are. Um, you're an award-winning architect with experience throughout the Mid-Atlantic states. Uh, Nikita Reed is skilled in the preservation, restoration, and adaptive use of historic buildings with a focus on sustainable strategies in design and construction. In 2012, she co-founded a woman-owned boutique architecture firm that specialized in historic preservation and sustainable design. And then in 2019, she joined Quinn Evans' Baltimore office. And so we want to talk about that a little bit today, mm -hmm. uh, about the, uh, your, your own firm and the transition to Quinn Evans. Um, you also have a great podcast called Tangible Remnants, where I've learned lots about the intersection of architecture and preservation and sustainability and race and gender. It's amazing that you can get all of those topics together in one podcast, and it makes sense. I yeah. love it. I love the podcast. Um, I love the conversations that you have over there at Tangible Remnants, so I highly recommend everybody go subscribe and listen to uh, Tangible Remnants. Um, 
let's start with your origin story. Let's go back to uh, where you discovered your passion for architecture, who or what inspired you to become an architect, uh, and then sh share that story to where we are now. Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks for having me. And I'm excited to be able to have this conversation because you're right. I've been um, a longtime follower and lurker in the community and posting some things. So it's great to be here. So I, I knew from an early age that I wanted to be an architect. Um, in high school, I took some AutoCAD drafting courses. And I think part of that came from um, when I was younger, I spent some time in DC on the weekends. And so I remember being confused as to why there were vacant buildings with homeless people sleeping outside of them. And so for me, I never really understood why that was the case, particularly when buildings need people and people need buildings. Um, and so I also had some friends who lived in Pittsburgh. And so when I was younger, would take the train from DC to Pittsburgh and the train would go through a lot of vacant, vacant areas, vacant cities or areas places that used to be really vibrant, but no longer were. And so I found myself thinking about what were those, what did those places used to be? What made them start to decline? What could they be if they were imagined? So I've just kind of always had this thing for dilapidated buildings. Um, it's always been a both and for me for architecture. So when I went to uh, UVA uh, for architecture undergrad, I remember being surprised that we weren't learning really about existing buildings. And I was like, all right, well, new buildings and, but what about what's already here? How do we work with that? And so in between uh, my years of undergrad and the summers of undergrad, and also before I went back to grad school, I worked for a preservation architect in DC and um, he eventually became uh, my former business partner, but I kind of got more exposed to preservation architecture through some of the projects we worked on there. And then I decided that I needed to go back to grad school to actually learn more about preservation and more about the existing environment because it is, you know, their preservation and architecture as similar as they are to me, they are different fields, different laws, different regulations. So I uh, went to Penn and then uh, did a master's in historic preservation as well as a master's in architecture. And then I was like, well, while I'm here, I might as well get some more degrees. So then I also <laughs> got a uh, certificate in ecological architecture. Um, so it's, uh, so that's kind of became more of the framework and the credentials for starting to blend sustainability, preservation and architecture all together. And it was funny because, or funny in one of those like, what? Because uh, my cohort had, uh, my preservation cohort at Penn, they were often like, oh, architects can't design, Frank Lloyd Wright's buildings leaked and, you know, just, you know, not, not the highest regard for architects. And then uh, my architecture cohort were very much like, oh, preservationists just get in the way of progress, you know, always holding things up. It's the hysterical preservation committee, uh, all of those things. But then it, it, for me, it was like, well, preservationists, architects kind of give us job security. You know, we got, we got to preserve the things that are there. And then architects, I would hope that we're designing things that we're wanting preservationists to preserve in the next 50 years. So it's like, we both need each other and it's a both and as opposed to an either or. Um, and then conversely, when I meet preservationists who think sustainability is this other thing that doesn't touch sustainability, that drives me nuts. Um, or architects who are like, well, why does it have to be sustainable? It's gonna cost so much money. And you know, it's just, there seems to be a, a disconnect. Um, so anyways, that, that's that. So that um, those thoughts are what um, led me to then co-found a firm in 2012 with uh, my former business partner. Um, and we called it Encore Sustainable Design because we wanted buildings to have an encore, kind of like you know another chance at 
performing yeah. again. Um, and so that was our way we were trying to incorporate sustainability into the name and all that fun stuff. Um, and part of um, what even gave me the, I guess, the courage to go out on my own at that time, um, there was a personal tragedy and I just kind of realized that I could die at any time. So it's like, I got to start doing what I want. So at 27, sure, let's start an architecture firm. Um, and my business partner at the time, he uh, he was 38, he's 38 years older than me. So he'd been in the game for a while. Um, and so it was good to be able to work together and um, have some have some lessons learned from that experience, but also realizing the way that he'd been doing things wasn't the way that we could continue doing things because technology had changed, the world had changed. So we had to evolve. Um, and so anyways, we did that for about, I did that for about seven years and then got this really great opportunity to join Quinn Evans Baltimore office, uh, which was the legacy Chobin Holback office. Uh, and it's funny because one of my former employees told me that when Quinn Evans bought Chobin Holback, apparently I made some offhanded comment like, oh, I wish that they would buy us too. Um, and then- <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> right, exactly. Then like two years later, get the offer. Um, and so it, it ended up that um, I actually ended up being the only one from the firm leaving to Quinn Evans. So um, Encore Sustainable Architects is still going and um, you know, it's it's been a journey. And joining Quinn Evans has been a roller coaster ride and a great time. And I'm really glad that I made the jump when I did just because it's given me the flexibility to do more of the work that I want to keep doing. Uh, and also it's given me a sense of looking at going from a very small practice to then being part of a firm that's part of the large firm roundtable with the AIA. So the the spectrum there has been really interesting. Yeah. 27 years old. It was very, yeah. very young to <laughs> yeah. start an architecture firm. Yes. I was 29. My wife and I launched our firm when we were 29 and we thought we were young. Um, do you have any advice or suggestions to young architects who want to start their own architecture firm very young like that? Yep. And so a couple things. So one is networking. Um, that became really crucial to the growth of the firm and also establishing myself as um, someone who knew what they were talking about, basically, because being young, being black, being female, um, there was a lot of who are you? Are you really a like? Are you really an architect? Well, you know, you can't say you're an architect if you're not licensed. It's like, oh, I'm aware of that, and I'm licensed. But thank you for like checking to make sure that I'm, you know, um, complying with the AIA code of ethics. Um, but it was also just a lot of stereotypes that I had to break, and networking helped that because then it became a once you start to know people, you start to realize that people really like to hire people that they know. Um, it's less about you being the best designer and having the lowest price. It's more about who do you know who can make the introduction. Uh, so my, my tip for networking for um, young folks, if you will, um, everyone hates it. That's tip number one. Everyone hates it. Everyone feels as awkward as you do. Um, you're not weird for feeling that way. It's just that it's just awkward talking to people you don't know. Um, one of the things I used to do was I would stand in the drink line because most of these events have alcohol um, and I would gently, very gently <laughs> bump into someone and then introduce myself. <laughs> be like, oh, sorry. Oh, hey, by the way, I'm Nikita. Um, and then, you know, go to the front of the line, get a drink, and then wait five minutes and do it again. And then as you're talking to someone, then you kind of open up the conversation and kind of start to face the rest of the crowd and be like, well, hey, is there anyone else here you'd recommend that I talk to? Um, so it's a way to kind of give yourself an out of the conversation, help expand your network, um, and also just connect a little bit more. Granted, all of that is uh, pre-COVID, so we'll see how networking evolves as we're staying digital, staying safe, trying to figure out what the world is like going forward. 
Um, but also making sure that when you go to different lectures or events, connect with people on LinkedIn and send a little note, say, hey, just saw this presentation here. Great meeting you there, just to really establish that connection. Um, and then also volunteer. Um, I, I'm, I kind of collect boards, it seems. <laughs> like I'm on a number of boards and I've been doing that uh, since I started the firm. Uh, and so things um, from uh, USGBC, or even um, APT, uh, which is the Association for Preservation Technology. It's like the AIA, but for preservationists. So for all you architects out there, you now know what APT is, if you didn't already. Um, and then also um, there's one of the other boards I'm on now is the Zero Net Carbon Collaboration. And so that is a, a board or a organization where we're trying to bring together um, basically climate action in existing and historic buildings, recognizing that we need to have uh, existing and historic buildings in the conversation to really make a difference. And so that group has members from Architecture 2030, AIA, um, as well as the RAIC, US ICOMOS, APT, and then we're also doing things with the Climate Heritage Network. So there's a lot of different organizations that are doing things centered around the built environment and sustainability, but it's a lot of different silos. So we're trying to be a clearinghouse to help make more connections. Um, so, you know, networking and uh, getting your name out there, present at conferences, all of the things that a lot of people are like, oh, public speaking is the worst or publishing or meeting people I don't know. It's um, if you're starting your own business, you have to get out from behind the computer, get out from the design so much and actually uh, focus on the business side of architecture and not just the design side of it. Did you ever experience imposter syndrome as, as a young architect? Oh my gosh, all the time. What did you um, do to overcome that at, at that age? Yeah, so at, at that age, it was a lot of reminding myself that I needed to uh, give myself permission to take up space. Um, I feel like uh, as a young person, as a woman, I had a tendency to try and shrink to be like, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't say anything. Maybe I shouldn't speak up. Maybe I shouldn't be here because, you know, I don't have the years. That person has way more gray hairs than I do. So I have to defer to them. But then realizing that um, everyone is trying to figure it out and kind of faking it. <laughs> I feel like yeah. we're all um, muddling our way through this. So once I realized that the adults, if you will, don't have all the answers. And I was also an adult and it was okay that I didn't have all the answers and I could show up and uh, be as authentic as I could be and admit that, you know, I'm still learning, but here's what I know. Um, and kind of once I removed the uh, expectation of having all the answers, then I felt like much less like an imposter and more like I was actually doing the work that I needed to do to continue on my journey. So it's been, um, it's still a struggle. Even even today, it's still kind of like, oh, oh my gosh, I'm talking to Mark Arla Page on this podcast. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> so it's still, it still happens. Um, but it's still just a, I'm reminding myself that, yeah, I'm allowed to do this. I'm allowed to take up space. I'm worthy. Those are all thoughts that have to continually be on repeat. Yeah, that's good advice. Um, I'm 51 years old and I still feel it. Yeah, <laughs> I still feel it. I, I I started when I was 29 and I felt when I was 29 that I was, you know, I had to prove myself as a young architect that I was always going to be perceived as somebody with not enough experience. Mm -hmm. And even to this day, I still get those feelings, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I, I still also think that I'm this young architect. <laughs> but I'm not that young architect anymore, but I still have those same feelings. And so it's it's um, it's important for 
everybody who's listening, no matter what your age is, is that that is just normal. That's being a human being. Mm-hmm. And uh, and coming up with ways like networking and, and experience and, and doing it anyway and learning that it wasn't so painful, right. all, those, all those lessons are really important. Uh, what are some other things, when you launched your, your own firm, um, what were some of the things that helped you build that business? Were there certain certain steps that you took uh, in order to establish that business as a as a successful business? Yeah. So the biggest thing I learned was systems and the need to create them. Um, and so, as I mentioned, my former business partner had been in business for many decades. Um, but like many small firm architects, it was he was kind of running it with a couple different spreadsheets and. Um, QuickBooks, and then nothing was really connected or talking to each other. Um, And so I remember when we hired our first employee, we're like, okay, well, now we really need to start tracking time and figuring out where time is going. Um, And so the idea of, oh, we're going to have our employees do their timesheets on one of our computers and QuickBooks, and I'll just log off for 30 minutes. And then I was like, that doesn't make sense. (laughs) It's like, there has to be a better way to get our employees to do their timesheets so that we don't have to stop working. Um, And so then we we ended up using, Let's see, harvest for a little bit. And then we tried T-sheets. So we, we kept trying and evolving different systems. Um, and then the other thing that drove me nuts was the number of um, spreadsheets that weren't connected and were often conflicted. So between like our contact list, our project list, our, um, you know, the mailing. So just there were a number of spreadsheets that weren't talking to each other. Um, and so then I spent a good amount of time researching a couple different architecture project management tools. Uh, so like Rike and uh, Liquid Planner and um, BQE, and so the number of different ones. Um, but then it, the struggle I ran into was we, often we were too small for a lot of those systems because some of it was like, oh, you have to have 10 licensed users minimum. And it's like, we have five. Um, or uh, it was we couldn't customize it exactly the way we needed to. Um, and I will say one of the advantages of having a business partner who is 38 years, years older than you is that you have to make sure the technology is something simple enough that they can use and they're not going to get frustrated with. Yeah, <laughs> so that yeah, became sure. the, the litmus test. I was like, well, can he use it? And if he can, then, okay, we'll go with it. Um, and so uh, after a bunch of trial and error, I uh, came along and I found Smartsheet, which has been, I've been really obsessed with it um, for the past couple of years now. Um, but it's been great because it's allowed me or at the firm, it allowed me to create um, project templates and connect the projects to the clients, to the invoicing and um, part and just connect the systems. So it was much more streamlined. I could do dashboards, I could do survey forms and without having to do a lot of different softwares. And it was relatively cheap and you could, you know, do the business license for three users and that worked out. Um, so that became a big push in terms of me creating the business in a way where I felt like I would be able to take a vacation. Because one of the things that I think is often glamorized or romanticized when starting a business is, oh, I'm going to be my own boss. But it's like, yes, but (laughs) if you don't have the system set up, then you don't have a business, you have a job. Because if you can't leave and go away for a couple weeks and let the business keep running without you, then you really don't have that freedom that you're searching for when you're thinking, I'm going to own my own business. Um, So it was really important to me to be able to create something that I knew would be able to run when I was gone. Um, and also have some redundancy and not feel like I had to be the bottleneck for everything. Because that is one of the things that um, I underestimated, I guess, as a business owner is just 
the decision fatigue that comes from having to be involved in so many different things and make the decisions about so many things. So I needed to be able to give myself a little bit of grace and a little bit of a way to say, hey, here's how you do it. Here's a video for it. This video lives on this dashboard in Smartsheet. So then when I was onboarding new employees, I didn't have to keep saying the same thing over and over again. Let's take a break to thank our sponsors for their support of this episode. BIM can be important for your next project, but it's not the only thing you need for your next project. That's why it's important that 95% of manufacturers who offer free BIM files on RCAT also offer another type of data or information that your project may need. That means 95% of the products with BIM also have CAD files, are in a specification, in a patented spec wizard, or may have product information to help you make the right selection. So stop going to a site with just BIM and go to rcat.com to get everything you need for your next project for free and without registering. No cost, no credit card, no email, it's free. That's rcat.com, A-R-C-A-T.com. When building a business you're passionate about, it's easy to feel like there aren't enough hours in the day. And if you're doing all the invoicing and accounting on your own, you're probably spending time on work you don't love. FreshBooks is built for business owners like us. It's the all-in-one accounting software that saves entrepreneurs and freelancers up to 11 hours a week. That's 11 hours that you could spend nailing a client pitch, designing your next project, or building your business as an architect. From preparing, sending, and following up on invoices, to tracking and managing expenses, to processing online payments, FreshBooks automates and simplifies all the tough and annoying parts of running your own business. So try FreshBooks for free for 30 days. No credit card required. Go to entrearchitect.com FreshBooks and enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section and get more time back to build the business you love. That's entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. So everything, all your systems lived on Smartsheet? Can you explain? Can you explain the platform of Smartsheet so we can understand what it sure. is and how it works? So it is cloud-based and it's kind of like um, Excel on steroids a little bit. Um, you also have the ability to create dashboards, which you can then, um, and the dashboard is basically think of it like a web page where you can drag and drop shortcuts or links, um, videos, images, you can type raw text on there. So it just gives you a lot of flexibility to be able to customize it to look and be the way you want it to be. Um, and so one of the nice things that I was able to do was in addition to setting up um, kind of a project template sheet. So I took the, I think it was AIA D200, which is like their checklist of things, was able to make that a template that was interactive. So you could go through every project and delete or add to the checklist and then add a project schedule with milestones and put all that stuff into a dashboard. So very quickly, I could see where we are in the project, what's happening with it. But then if I wanted to click in and see, okay, well, what are the tasks that need to happen? Where are we financially? There are just different ways to get to the same information. Um, and that was the other thing that I really appreciated about Smartsheet was that you can put the information in once. And if you set it up correctly, then you don't have to enter the same project name 15 different times. So it's 
I was trying to think of ways to make it so it was a little less redundant and I was spending more time doing the work and less time managing the work. Yeah. You had mentioned that that putting together systems allowed you to get away, to go on vacation and, and be confident that the, that the firm is going to run well. Mm-hmm. That feeling, <laughs> right? When you finally get to that point where you yes. can take time away and know that everything's going to be okay, right? You have the people in the right places. Yep. You have the systems in the right place. And you can take time away and like literally stop and turn mm-hmm. your brain off and turn off the computer and shut down the phone and go be with your family and your friends and go enjoy yourself. Right. That feeling is amazing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I concur. Uh, and it's one of those things where I think, um, particularly with some of the other small firm architects that I've talked to, it's often seen uh, the idea of setting up systems uh, or uh, standard operating procedures sometimes is perceived as being restrictive right. or, oh, I, you know, I got into this for architecture. I just want to focus on design, but it's like, if you have the systems in place, then you actually can focus on the design so that you're not having to spend your time reminding your employees how to do something on the administrative side. Cause you have something that you can point to and say, Hey, it's there, go check there for that information. Uh, so just being able to set up the system so that you can actually free yourself for more time to do the work that you want to do design or networking or whatever it is. Um, you know, or vacation. So important. exactly vacation, <laughs> not to be under, not to be yes. undersold. Absolutely. I've been preaching that that uh, for years here mm-hmm. at the podcast, and and it's it is fantastic to hear about Smartsheet because I don't know I didn't know about Smartsheet before I started talking with you, mm-hmm. um, and actually I haven't explored it at all. But every architect, small firm architect, they're all looking for that simple product that brings yeah. it all together, and I could just build out the systems. Right, a lot of us have used. Excel or, or Google Sheets to build out systems. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of a system or, or a program that's easy to use and can sort of go just above where the sp- typical spreadsheets can go and be more right. interactive and more automated. Yeah. And one of the things that um, I also really like is that it gives you the opportunity to do uh, forms and the forms then tied back directly to a database. Um, so a couple of years ago, I actually surveyed the Entre Architect community to find out how are you tracking your time and a couple other things. And so I, I made a dashboard and did a report and actually I'll send you the links to that so we can include those as well. But it was a way to really easily show the information. And all I had to do was like, send out the link and everything else kind of came together. So it's it's been really fun to um, explore Smartsheet. And I also, um, I should mention this, that I, I nerd out on systems and I love a good spreadsheet, but I also like adapted it. So I'm using it for my personal time as well. So like I can, my whole calendar and my task or all that stuff is there. Cause it's, you know, I, I needed a system that was, I could use for everything. And that's kind of, I've evolved it to be that. Yeah, and you built it. You built it all out for your architecture firm. You're using it personally now. Do you do you use it at all at Quinn Evans now? I do for some of our projects. So, for instance, uh, one of the projects that we worked on was um, the DC civil right or African American civil rights sites in DC. And so we had a uh, public engagement piece and a public comment. And so we use Smartsheet to both be the database of all of the 
sites that we found around the city. Um, and the database includes photos and different check boxes and types of things like that. And then we also used it for the dashboard so that we had a form where if people had sites they wanted, wanted to suggest for us to research, they could submit the site and it went to our database. Um, you know, they could find out more information about different events that were happening, contact different people. So we used Smartsheet for that uh, web-facing dashboard as well. So we're using it for things like that. Um, and then I've been talking to our IT department. But, you know, we're, we're a little bit more of a, a team's office, so we'll see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Microsoft got the hook you know? in <laughs> But uh, you, you, with Smartsheets, you, you were such a fan and it worked for your firm. You also built a course around it. I did. For other small firms. I did. And it's, so it's called Smartsheet for Architects. Um, and I built it probably like two or three years ago. Yeah. And it's one of those things where I just kind of built it in my spare time because I was like, this is amazing. I need to use it. And I need to tell people how great it is. Um, and then I just kind of built out the course and just let it, let it be. And, you know, I've had probably like 50 or so people go through the course so far, which is awesome. Um, but I haven't really haven't been marketing it. So this is kind of cool that it's, you know, thanks for shout out. Yeah. And this um, wasn't, wasn't part, <laughs> right. it wasn't the plan when I invited you. Exactly. I just thought, Hey, we should talk about this because this, right. we, we wanted to talk about systems. And then I remembered that you had that course. Yeah. So I wanted to just mention it. Yeah. And so it's one of those things where it's, um, yeah, it's, I've built it out just because I felt like it was such a great tool. And after trying so many different tools, um, I mean, I even tried like uh, Frank and Reich and a whole bunch of them. Um, the one that I was also starting to look at was Ingenious IO. And then I also know it's, um, oh, uh, there's, anyways, there's a bunch of them that are out there, but there is still this kind of hole of project management software for small firm architects that does everything that we need to do. Um, and, you know, even with like invoicing, which I know is also the bane of many, <laughs> many of our existences, um, you know, just in addition to kind of the awkwardness of networking, I know there's also that awkwardness of asking for people to pay you the money that they owe you, um, but it's a need. Uh, and so one of the things that I use Smartsheet for was tracking the invoices. So I'd have reminders of, okay, what do we need to invoice this month? Did I do I have the invoices from the subs? Where are we in the contract? And basically use Smartsheet to fill the gap for all of the things that I couldn't do in QuickBooks because um, QuickBooks isn't great with kind of the two-way connection and all that kind of stuff. So it was um, being able to see where we were and also have a very easy way to see how much have we actually inbuilt or build this month? What are we expecting to build next month? So I could actually have some sort of um, forecast going on. So I'd get a sense of where we were for cash flow and what was expected. This is this is fantastic, and and I, I have so many other questions that I wanted to ask you, because um, I I I love um, uh, historic preservation. It's mm -hmm. it's I never pursued it, and and um, adaptive use was something that I always was interested in, and just never pursued it. My mom always took us on tours wherever we went. We were always going to some historic building, and so it's in my blood. Mm -hmm. uh, to sort of look at historic buildings. And I had very similar experiences when I was young. Uh, I lived near New York City, and I remember driving you know, through the city and, and seeing entire blocks abandoned. Mm -hmm. um, and I had very similar feelings about them. And so I would love, if you're interested, I'd love for you to come back uh, and talk about historic preservation and sustainability, because I'm also curious on how do you sort of uh, get yeah. sustainability and historic buildings to work, right? Because yeah. they're not originally designed to be sustainable. So how do you do that? Um, yeah. So if you're interested, I'd love to have you come back and talk about that stuff too. Absolutely. And uh, real quick on that, you know, it depends on how you're defining sustainability in that. So um, 
inherent reusing is inherently sustainable. Yeah. Uh, but right. then being able to make sure that you are meeting energy code without destroying the historic character of the building right. and um, helping to continue a community's sense of place is something that's also really exciting. So I would love to come back and talk about all of those things. <laughs> great, great. I know you're passionate about it and I love talking about that. So we'll definitely have you come back. Uh, hopefully, hopefully we can, we can schedule a time and do that. And so we'll, we'll definitely, uh, we'll definitely have you come back and we'll talk about that. Um, her name is Nikita Reed. You can learn more about Nikita and everything that she's doing, the podcast, Tangible Remnants, um, uh, everything she's doing is at NikitaReed.com. We'll have a link to that on the show notes. If you want to check out the course, Smartsheet for Architects, it's Smartsheet for architects.com number four smart sheet number four architects.com we'll have a link to that as well in the show notes you can uh, follow Nikita on Instagram and Facebook at tangible remnants uh, if you're interested in zero net carbon collaboration you talked about that a little bit early on it's znccollaboration.org you can learn all about that and how you combined sustainability and historic buildings. Yep. I'm going to go there and look at that myself. Um, Nikita, this has been a fantastic conversation. I really enjoyed this. Uh, I loved hearing your story and, and how you built your firm and how you moved on to, to uh, Quinn Evans and how you felt that systems are the way to do this. I, it's something that I talk about all the time, um, but I think understanding that there is a simple tool to find that, right? That's why we also started building out simple systems at Entree Architect is because I think that's the answer, right? It's find a simple way to do it. Absolutely. Build these little systems that work and those little systems over time become big systems and then you can have systems in your firm because it takes time to build all those, those systems. It really but does. It, it also saves you time and allows you to go on vacation and allows <laughs> you to do better architecture. So it's something we all have to do. So Nikita, thank you for sharing here today at Entree Architect Podcast. Of course, thank you so much for having me. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, and share a link to this episode with a friend. That's how you can help grow Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you to our sponsors, Arcat and FreshBooks, for their support of this episode. Links to all our sponsors and all our resources that we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. That's you. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-media.com. Go there now. And check out Entree Architect Academy membership. Ready to edit business resources for architects, live monthly business training for architects, a supportive architect community, and Simple Systems, our new business system program developed for you, the small firm entrepreneur architect. It's all waiting for you right now at Entree Architect Academy membership, including AIA Continuing Education Learning Units. Yep, they are there, there too. Entree Architect is there for you. Come join me and hundreds of your entrepreneur architect friends. Visit entrearchitect.com slash join to enroll today. Thanks for listening today. Love, learn, and share what you know.
I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us. Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.